You're listening to the Sound Source Podcast with Alex Knickerbocker. Today we're sitting down with Dan Kramer, friend and colleague of mine who is a sound editor and sound designer, most recently uh, nominated for his work on Mr. Robot, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and also is, I mean, you've gone through so many different forms of television, broadcast, feature films, reality TV, all kinds of different stuff. So I guess to start off with, let's get a little bit of your, your story. How did you get started? Uh, well, I, it, um, I was a musician. Uh, I am a musician. You know, it's like being a Marine. Once you, once you were, <laughs> you no never such, are not. There's no such thing as a former musician. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, but I played, you know, professionally for a long time, which is to say that I didn't have another job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say that because, uh, when I was doing that, I was always, uh, looking over the engineer's shoulder, um, and the producer and sort of wanting to learn what they were doing in Pro Tools. Sure, kind of figuring out like, oh, what's going on behind the other side of the glass here? And Yeah, I mean, I, it's my, I, my family was in radio and television, and so I was always just fascinated by the, the gear, you know, the boards and the, and the EQs and stuff like that. And, sure. And so um, looking at Pro Tools, it was just such a cool interface that I was always just sort of, you know, the producers that were um, kind would... I'd ask them what they were doing and they'd tell me um, and they'd be patient with me and they'd sort of walk me through what they were doing. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to learn how to record myself. So at a certain point I'd start doing demos for the band and then I, in the bands that I was in, and then I started producing, you know, a couple bands and that kind of thing. And sure. And I say all that to, to eliminate the sort of pro tools uh, journey that I went on, where right. it was, you know, which is sort of a separate thing. Pro tools is, I mean, in terms of software, there are plenty of different options out there when it comes to when it comes to like the big leagues. It's pretty much all Pro Tools if you're working in the major studio environment. Yeah, uh, it, it really is just you won't go to a place uh, that is not using Pro Tools at least as one uh, step in the in the process or as the final right. step in the in the chain. You know, before it goes to broadcast or before it goes to the big screen or whatever. Certainly. Um, so that was so that was how I, I I got into Pro Tools, and then, um, I got fired from a job selling cars. Huh. Um, That's which, not a normal step in the process of. <laughs> well, selling cars is a terrible uh, soul sucking business, <laughs> and there's a downside to it too. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> and, I, and I got fired. But when you get fired. People get fired. Car salesmen get fired like, you know, it, it happens monthly. I mean, it's all the time. They sure. expect you to walk up the street, go to the other BMW dealer. I wanted a BMW, so I sold BMWs. And I got the employee <laughs> discount, you know. <laughs> so I got fired uh, from from my job selling cars and, and just kind of decided that I was going to do something with this film degree that I had that I had been doing nothing with and, and kind of just working crappy jobs that I didn't like. And... Uh, I had a I, I posted on Facebook. Uh, do I know any friends in the entertainment industry? Which I, you know, all my friends are in the entertainment industry. But I said, who would be looking for anybody to do anything? You know, I'll start at any level, and I started as a PA, sure, on reality shows. Um, and a really great friend of mine, you know, just kind of sat down with me and was like, "What do you think you want to do?" And I was like, "Well." You know, post sound has always really interested me. Um, Did you know I, anything about it really at the time, or a basic 
sort of. I mean, I went to film school, but I didn't take a single sound class. Oh, okay. If you can believe that. I, no, actually, that's. I think that's really common because it's not really a focus in a film degree. I know that a lot of people, you know, guys that go into USC or, you know, people that go to AFI, for example, they're learning the art of filmmaking as a whole. And yeah. I think a lot of a lot of video editors, a lot of people who are kind of doing the the solo act, trying to do everything themselves, sound is an afterthought for a lot of them. Yeah, and I think I mean the I, I I moved around a couple of majors, and I think I was somehow able to skirt the sound class. Like I wasn't trying to, but it just was something that I didn't have to take. Sure. Um, and I think at my school, I went to Chapman University in Orange County, California. Oh, Chapman. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. What's up, Chapman? Um, but uh, they made him take a, a sound class. Um, I get the impression. I think that the sort of overwhelming uh, attitude toward the sound class was, "Well, we got to do this, so let's do it." And I think, frankly, that's carried over all the way to, I guess, if we're in the big leagues now, then the big leagues, um, where it's it's you know, sound is the last step in the process and it kind of ends up being the after after afterthought putting know? it delicately <laughs> yeah it really ends up being the la- and, and i and it's just not thought about that much uh, for no reason I, I can think of but so anyway um my friend asked me you know what i wanted to do and i i said i thought you know post sound and he was one of these kind of guys that goes out to networking events uh, okay. I've never been the kind of person who can like really go to a networking event very well. I feel like I'm in a fishbowl. Yeah, I, I can do that when it's like a one-on-one. Let's sit down and let's chat for a little bit. Yeah, but let's, let's do lunch. Or you something. know, they they put you in a room of here's a hundred people. Go talk. I yeah, I'm gonna stand I, I, in a corner trying to do this. I, not- I swear, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm you know on display. Um, but uh, he 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 went to these events and it it turns out so he he met this guy um, who owned a place uh, a studio in Santa Monica that. Uh, did a lot of independent films mm-hmm. and some work on TV. And it was a post-sound house, specifically. They did, uh, they had, I think when I went there, they had like two dubbing stages. They had an ADR room, which doubled as a Foley stage. That's always good. I did a fair <laughs> amount of Foley in that room. Uh, they had a, a small, like, VO booth. Um, and and that was just about it. And uh, But they were getting some fairly... I want to call it the high budget of low budget. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and it was great because I went I, I I went and met this guy and he said, well, you know, we need someone to intern. It was an unpaid internship. Sure. And I was 27 years old. And I said, you know, okay. It, it's, it was, I was, I was living at home then, mm-hmm. living at home at 27 years old um, and just looking for a change. And I thought this was going to be the change that, so, um, Went in and, uh, you know, started answering phones and getting coffee and and it being an independent place and it being the kind of place that, you know, didn't have a lot of money for things. I'd start sort of helping out on, you know, cutting Foley on stuff. Sure. You end up wearing a whole bunch of different hats and kind of. I would do I'd be cutting Foley one day. I'd be answering phones the next day and I'd be running cable uh, to a soffit. Uh, oh, wow. For a speaker, I'd be soldering connectors, <laughs> you know, um, on, on the third day. And, and <laughs> intern, engineer, sound effects editor, re-recording mixer, <laughs> occasional PA. I know, right? Foley artist, runner, Foley yeah, artist. Yeah. That's. <laughs> do they occasionally let you run the company and then have you uh, driving mail? 
I, I, I've thankfully I've never I've been very clear about the fact that I never want to have any of that kind of responsibility. <laughs> this is why I'm not a supervisor. I'm like hiring, firing, budgets. No, <laughs> no just I want to be in the trenches. I want to be yeah, I shoveling s- the proverbial coal. Yeah, I was I was working at this post house, kind of doing whatever needed to be done. Um, and but it was great because I got the opportunity to mix ADR. I got the opportunity to mix fully. I got the opportunity to walk fully. Um, and then they asked me one day if I wanted to cut some sound effects for, it was for, it was for a reality show. It was for, um, it was a show called, uh, Vegas Strip, which was done by Langley Productions. They're the cops people. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they uh, know their reality television. They really did. They created it. Um, and yeah, I mean, cops being the first. That was, yeah, actually, now that I think about it. And, uh. So, and and I was just cutting some sound. You know, it was a reality show, but they needed some some supporting sound effects. You know, stuff to kind of make it make it more exciting. Sure. And I did that, and uh, I made friends with this guy named Jeff Pitts, uh, who worked out in this sort of uh, sort of garage area that they had, and it was huh. his own studio. Um, and he was kind of the in-house sound designer uh, back then, and we just kind of made friends. You know, we'd we'd hang out, we'd go to lunch together, we'd. Uh, you know, sure. Just mess around. You know, I mean, just just talking about life and stuff like that. And um, and then he uh, he asked me if I wanted to cut sound effects on this thing. Um, it was a it was another Langley production, and it was called uh, I think it was called Baja. It was about the Baja race in okay. uh, in Baja California. Sure. And uh, it was cutting cars. And I'd never done that before. I'd never done really very much of any cutting before. Um, <laughs> so, the, man, throwing you into the deep end. That's... He he kind of he kind of gave me some pointers and and kind of just said, you know, get out there and be somebody and uh, and <laughs> make I, it look easy. <laughs> I I guess I did an okay job because they because they seemed to like it. Um, and uh, and then other people started asking me to cut sound effects after that and. Um, the way it works in LA is one thing leads to another and you take a job here and you take a job there. And eventually I got a job at universal, uh, and, uh, uh, I really like it. And the rest is history. <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> no, I think, I think that's one of the, again, big, I don't want to say misconceptions, but it's sort of a, a taken for granted detail of a lot of this stuff when again when you're working solo and you're just trying to make content for yourself or you're trying to make content that interests you you tend to forego a lot of collaborative opportunities maybe unintentionally and Mm -hmm. especially in los angeles but i think in anything entertainment related and uh i guess creatively that sort of collaborative energy and being able to find somebody who's maybe doing what you want to do mm-hmm. better than you feel you're doing it and learning from them, getting you know, getting the time in with people who are, are willing to say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you a shot. I'll show you this one random thing. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the bread and butter of how to step up the game, how to get into the, the I guess, higher reaches of whatever part of the industry you want to. Yeah, anytime you can find anybody that knows anything more than you, uh, it's a wealth of information. You know, it's a wealth of knowledge that you. And if that person is patient, and that person person can, um, you know, is is a teacher. You know what a great what a great resource. I mean, it's almost it's very similar to what you're doing with the YouTube channel. Is is you know just helping helping people who don't know to know. Um, Trying to make it better, yeah. make it better than you found it. That's, 
I can uh, f I remember being told that if you're doing it right, you'll never be the smartest person in the room. And uh, I can tell you I must have been doing it really, really right because I am definitely not the smartest person in <laughs> any of the rooms that I step into. <laughs> it's a good place to be. I think place. so. It's like they say, with, you know, they say with real estate, they're like, you know, buy the... Uh, by the worst house in the nicest neighborhood, you know what I mean. That's that's if if I'm if I'm doing that with sound design, I want to be, <laughs> I want to be the crappiest sound designer surrounded by amazing ones because all I can do is learn, you know. And here you are again, having been nominated for a sound award for your work <laughs> on one of the most interesting different shows on television at this point with Mr. Robot. That's. That's a pretty cool thing. It really is. I'm. I'm. It's and it's a great show. Uh, and it, it it was just such an amazing experience. It was just such a such a really really. F it was fun because I loved the show and the show. The tone of it uh, is so much my uh, style. You know, sure. I was wearing the hoodies before uh, <laughs> before Rami Malek was and. Yeah, that copycat. Uh, yeah, I know, right? The guy just but, saw you on the street one day and was like, "That, yeah, that's a good look." Yeah, <laughs> uh, but when it came around, I was like, I was like, "Hey, you know, I, I think this will work." Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, just having fun with it, you know, genuinely having fun doing it, and then I'm like, "Oh, they, that's right, they pay me for this too. That's cool. That's real cool." You know, um, that's. Uh, but it does take for the level of demand that that show has. I mean. Let's say coming from reality television work, you know mm -hmm. that that has a lot of parallels between uh, itself and a lot of independent content, where it's sort of quick and dirty and run and gun, and you've got a lot of little kind of moving parts that you have to keep track of. And most of the time, either the the schedule or the budget or the infrastructure isn't really there to be able to take the time to make every facet of it perfect. It's much more raw in its format. Yeah, you get it done quickly and you get it done well enough. Yeah. Um, but I was always the kind of guy that, you know, I'm, I'm too much of a um, perfectionist. So good enough is never good enough. Sure. Uh, so whenever I was doing those shows, and I guess that's how I got, if I'm good, uh, I guess that's how I got good, was um, doing the best I could even when I knew uh, the content didn't necessarily, I don't want to say it didn't deserve it, but, you know, they weren't going to be used to it, it being done that well. And I think everybody liked the fact that I did it that well. Right. Uh, you know, and... Um, but it helped me to learn how to do things quickly. Sure. Um, it helped me learn how to how to really sort of streamline my workflow, I guess, uh, to use those kinds of words. Sure. I feel um, like that's that's one of the most important aspects of the entire sound process, and probably one of the it's less discussed in a lot of other. I don't know, podcasts, YouTube videos, etc. There are a lot of little components of, oh, yeah, well, I use this EQ or I use this specific plugin and this is how I'm doing sound design. But overall, streamlining the idea of, okay, somebody, you know, a video editor is delivering over a bunch of tracks to me. I mm -hmm. need to make sense of what they've done and get into their head a little bit, figure out what they want. And I need to be able to make choices and understand their intentions on a level that allows me to just move. Yeah. And quickly. Sound, sound design is not the equipment. Uh, sound design is not the plugins. Sound design is not uh, you know any bit of gear. You know, if you're recording, it's not the microphone so much. It's not the recorder so much. Um, it's 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 the knowledge of how to either use those things, mm -hmm. and it's the knowledge of the story uh, that they're trying to tell. If you're talking about like a video editor or a director or a showrunner, sure. You know, being able to interpret what they are 
trying to communicate the way they're trying to tell their story. The tools are just how you get the story told. Um, and there are lots of great tools and, you know, we can go on and on about all that, of course, sure. but, but, um, yeah, I mean, sound design is more, uh, sound design and sound effects editing is just about knowing the way a story needs to be told and then knowing the way sound works to tell it. Sure. And I, I think that's one of those spaces that there's room for thinking about sound as something is being shot. If you have a if you have a concept of what sound is capable of and yeah. how it can elevate a scene or a moment or even if you're just thinking about doing some sort of musical, you know, montage kind of thing, music video whatever. Yeah. Thinking about how sound might be able to sweeten certain moments or draw attention towards certain aspects as you're shooting the content, which is a hard thing to really think about cuz the sound is less tangible. The best, yes, the best directors, uh, producers that I've worked with are thinking about sound from the get-go, um, f- from the script, um, and 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 that's just so. It's so nice to have those kinds of projects sometimes because, um, it makes you feel like what you're doing is. Um, really helping to tell the story. Um, and it makes you feel like it, it gives you a little bit of, you know, where there's that sort of stress because you're responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of, it's, it's like if somebody hands you a baby, you know, you're like, I've got to care for this thing. Um, when, <gasps> oh, when no, <laughs> we did, we did an episode of Mr. Robot, uh, last season that had, uh, one line of dialogue in the whole thing. It was a, you know, like 50 minute, 50 minute long episode, 45 minute long episode. One line of dialogue. One line of dialogue in the whole thing. And I mean, f- for us, that really, uh, it was it was a great challenge because you go, I really need, I, this is, they're giving me a lot of responsibility here. You know, I've really got to bring my A game to this. Sure. Uh, because it's, it's all it's all me and music, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you, you take my away. My team the, and music, you know? You take away the whole the standard narrative is told through dialogue and is told through speaking and, you know, not so much telling exactly what a story is, but you, you have something to follow that's easily communicated. Whereas mm-hmm. I guess relaying all of the information, all of the, the ideas that Sam Esmail, the creator wants to impart to his audience and wants to tell in his story. Now all of that responsibility lies on sound. Plus on top of that, you've got a, you've got a philosophic, space you know if you've got a five minute long scene and you've got certain elements like that that are storytelling sort of that are really um relevant to the plot then also you really should have other things going on that gives you know the location life sure you know if there's something off screen if there it's if we're in new york city there's you know so maybe some horns or a siren or something like that right and it's so not only is it not only is it telling the story, but then it's also uh, selling the reality. And that's, I think that's probably the biggest difference in what I would think of as amateur content versus professional content when it comes to sound, because you have the attention to detail paid of, you know, we're not just going to record one background layer of something and toss it in and have one sound effect playing. Yeah. All right. In order to bring New York City to life, you have to have people walking. That's, mm-hmm. 
if you want to maintain separate control over that, you've got to have recordings of just that. You've got to have multiple different layers of traffic because you hear everything going on around you. You're not just going to have, you know, one bed of yeah. cars going by to your left and that's it. That was one of the first lessons I learned uh, about any any sort of any, any sound effects editorial is um, – it's one thing if you can find a sound that has like if you're if we're talking about New York City, we're talking about footsteps, we're talking about horns, we're talking about traffic, we're talking about brakes, wheels, we're talking about uh, voices, sure, callouts, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's one thing if you find a recording that has all of those, but I don't usually use recordings like that because when you have a recording of footsteps, horns, you know, you've got a siren go by. You've got uh, some callouts. You've got some traffic that you can sort of move around and, and, and place between dialogue holes and that kind of things, you know, horns. Um, when you keep those elements separate, you're able to, if you're mixing it yourself or for our mixers, they're able to move those sounds up and down and in and out as the scene is going on and feature them and pull them back. Uh, separately, separate from each other, which gives it that much more definition, that much more detail, that much more dynamic. Right. You can choose, again, which things you're going to focus on, where to place them in, especially in a surround environment, because that's, I think that's something that, uh, again, in the more independent world or the not for theatrical uh, intentions, people are working in stereo. Yeah. And so you only really have left, right, and center sort of to play with right yeah. whereas in a surround space when you have you know multiple speakers when you have like a dolby atmos system where you have 64 individual channels that you can work with to kind of place sounds so specifically wherever you want you you end up needing that level of granularity and that level of control yeah. so that you can appropriately fill the space and and make it immersive yeah. rather than just throwing sound at someone yeah it's it's a single a single stereo track is not going to cover it of course um so how do you when you're when you're thinking about building backgrounds or using foley to tell a story and again i think foley specifically as well as bgs specifically are that dividing line in the professional world foley really is what brings a film to life in terms of how you how you perceive it as larger than life right when you can hear every individual step and even if it's just a suggestion of a step and not you know a boot to face kind of moment yeah yeah you you start building this world in your head that's much more relatable because you can hear all these little details i remember when i was a kid i used to watch movies and um and think, why does it never sound like that when i touch the door handle why does it never sound like that (laughs) when i you know uh when i walk uh, and I didn't realize that was, you know, Foley. And now that I know it, it's just it's just such a cool thing. I've always been a really big fan of the sort of hyper, uh, the hyper realistic Foley. Uh, Mr. Robot, the final season, um, had a lot of that. It became almost a stylistic thing hmm. uh, that I think Sam wanted to do, uh, where all the Foley was played really, really up front in the mix. And, and it reminded me of those movies that I that I used to like, sure. uh, because you know it's it it is taking something and it's making it like almost like a better version of reality. And reality. I also because of that specific show, you you are meant to be inside Remy Malek's head 
so deeply that you, you know, you kind of lose track of what reality is versus not. That's kind of one of the main plot points of the show. Sure, yeah. And featuring Foley, making the choice to feature all that Foley so prevalently and have all the footsteps be a particular way and have, you know, picking up a cup, sliding a glass across a table, having that so prominently featured it psychologically allows you to get further into the character's head and you might not even realize that's what's going on with the quality of acting on that show with the, with as good as the actors are all of that stuff helps tell the story you know if if it's if it's a cup sliding across a table and it's and it's one of those actors doing it there's always intention behind it you know there's always some sort of character behind that and so yeah you know it 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 everything helps tell the story in that way that's another big argument against being so focused on what plugins to use or what software is best or mac versus pc was the argument for a long time i, I don't know that it really still is anymore but if you you can you can talk about all that and those are all good conversations to have about saving time. I mean, yeah. buying a better EQ is not going to make you better at sound. It's potentially just going to save you time. You know, right. if, I, yeah. if I'm working on something that I need to reach for an EQ 150 times an hour, mm-hmm. which more or less is about right, yeah, yeah, and that EQ is either challenging to work with or it's limiting in some capacity, yeah, it's going to slow me down. That's why I would buy something like, you know, I'm using FabFilter all the time, and it's it's not because it sounds better necessarily. It's because when I reach for that EQ, I can work with it way faster than most other things. They're tools. They're, they're tools to save time, and that's, yeah. that's basically why money gets spent in general is to yeah. save the time and get the end result more quickly and have a level of quality consistently. Yeah. The, the, only, reason anybody, the only reason anybody hires a, a professional, I think, is so that it is done within their time frame and really well because there's the good, fast, cheap pyramid, right? You yep. know, pick two. Yep. Um, anybody can do any level of work if it if they do it for long enough, if it takes them long enough to do. But in a lot of cases, you know, if you've got a project that you're trying to get seen or heard, if it's music, um, you got to get it done. You got to get it out there. Um, and... You know, <laughs> you could I, teach I could, yourself all this stuff over five yeah, years. Yeah, I could very easily right now if I wanted to learn how to, uh, you know, play soccer, I could do that. But uh, it ain't going to happen tomorrow. Sure. Um, eventually I could, you know, just take some time. Yeah. I don't know. Playing soccer, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it's about it's about knowing how to do the thing and then knowing the way to use your tools uh, properly. And and if you're in Pro Tools, uh the the plugins that come with Pro Tools can do a lot. Um, they are really really good, high quality, capable plugins. Um, and then you reach a certain level where you where you want to have more uh, control, more flexibility. You want to be like you were saying. You want to be uh, faster. And yeah, you know you can you can upgrade your plugins. You can get some new to- new toys. You know, or if you just want to mess around and have fun with a plugin, you know. Certainly, of course, yeah. there is always that element of. <laughs> I just want to. Yeah, yeah. I, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, this is cool. <laughs> all this is to say that it's not really all about the tools that you use or the choices that you make necessarily. It's I, I've talked about this a lot before, the source quality rule. 
you got to start with whatever the best you can capture, whatever the best you can get. If it's acting, whatever the best performance you can get is, mm-hmm. you have to make the source be as good as possible. Yeah. And even if you capture it with subpar gear or you're working with software that's not quite you know, the latest, greatest, or the most capable, you still have the baseline of great quality. You can take an iPhone uh, and, and record... Uh, your shots for your movie. You can cut it together in uh, iMovie. Um, if the performance is good, and if you want to put some, if you want to put some sound effects behind it, you can record them. Uh, you could probably record them with your iPhone if you really wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it. But I was talking to one of the sound effects editors that used to work on the show House MD, which is long-running television. So I really, really liked it. I think Hugh Laurie was great in that. It was, yeah, was. a really fun show. It was a really interesting show. Yeah, but. I mean, he he was talking about his approach to a lot of the sound editorial he did, and one of the things he mentioned was the number of iPhone-recorded sound effects that ended up going into that because they worked. Yeah. Because they were totally good, and it was about whatever, you know, the door opening that that guy, you know, walked into a hallway one day and heard that and went, oh, that would be perfect, and the best microphone you can use is the one that you have. That's That's it. It's an Annie Leibovitz line. Uh, you know, she goes. She was asked what what her, what her favorite camera is, and she goes, "The one you have on you." Yep. No, it's it's better to have a recording or have something captured and have it not be the most ideal thing in the world than not have it at all. Yeah, That's, exactly. Of course, I think in kind of an interesting way that actually pivots us back to you know video editors working to provide some kind of intention with sound in whatever they're working with, whether it's Final Cut or it's Avid or it's Premiere or it's DaVinci Resolve or or anything in between. Those all allow for a limited amount of control with sound, but at the end of the day, what they're going to provide to you is the intent behind how they're cutting a scene. And you as a sound professional, your whole job is basically to internalize that and build it out to what it's supposed to be. And I think there's a lot of collaborative work that goes into that, but also that's kind of what differentiates your approach to sound as an editor or designer versus my approach to it or any other sound, post-sound person, is their own creative sensibilities. There's always going to be that, you know, follow what the director says. I think that's every single time I've heard any higher level guys talk about, you know, well, how did you do the sound for John Wick? How did you do the sound for Fast and Furious? Well, we gave the director what they wanted. Yeah, it's a little more complicated than that, obviously, but that's sort of the, the... baseline of you know where do you where do you start what ideas do you come up with and it's it's sort of well frankly uh you know to to cut it to cut to the chase on that it's the job it's what we get paid for you know like they're they're hiring us so we need to do what they want Um, (laughs) there is that (laughs) you know really i mean at the end of the day but yes uh, that's that's you know it's it's the director is responsible for the artistic direction of the of whatever show it is, um, so they, you know, so they are the ones sort of uh, k- taking care of that. You know, they're the caretaker of the of the storytelling, and you know, it's, yeah, it's ultimately up to them to have to have the final word or to be happy or to not be happy. But then on our side, it, the way it, like at least it helps me to look at it is just going. This is what this is what I get paid for. You know, like sure. it, it, I give the people what they want. That's <laughs> there yeah. is there is always that. Yeah. I've built this really serious, uh, geekish, uh, mobile sound effects rig 
that I it took me a couple years to do and f- few thousand dollars more thousands than I would probably than would be sane to spend. <laughs> um, Gentle way of putting it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I can bring it with me anywhere I go. I brought it all around the world, and and, uh, and I can cut sound effects from pretty much anywhere in the world. So I uh, At the level that a major studio might want you to be able to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it takes the investment, and it takes the knowledge, and it takes all of the other things that we've been talking about. But the fact is, again, the gear limitations are not necessarily there in the same way that they were. It doesn't matter as much yeah. as it used to. And it so really you, doesn't. you can do this sort of stuff if you have the requisite talents, if you have the, the understanding between the team that's working on it. And I'll tell you, you know, if, if we can touch back just real quick on that, that the whole sort of gear thing that we said, m- the plugins that I own on my machine, on my mobile machine, are not the plugins that I have at work. And in some cases they are, in some cases I've purchased them, but in a lot of cases I'm able to make do with uh, with what Pro Tools has, you know. Sure. Uh, so, and I'm and I and I'll be cutting things for all of the shows that I work on uh, with those plugins. And if I, you know, if I can do it, then I'll do it. And if not, then I'll bite the bullet and I'll buy whatever plugin <laughs> I need and and then have it. No, it's it's you have to adapt to the necessities. That's certainly yeah. true. So with that in mind, again, you, you've worked on shows like Robot, but you've also got the sort of primetime television, uh, you know, more episodic standard, if I can call it that, the standard format. Yeah, sure. You're, as yeah. well as long form features, I think. Uh, didn't you work on the, the live action Death Note for... Uh... Live action Death Note. I, I cut the Foley on that. Okay. Um, and then uh, Jeff and I did, uh, Jeff Pitts, who I mentioned earlier, and I did... Um, uh, the Blair Witch movie, so oh, those yeah. would have probably been the 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 the, the threequel. Um, it was a very good movie. More people should have seen it. Um, it was an extremely good movie. I remember uh, I remember Jeff um, at one point showing me what he was working on with that. It was still very under wraps at the time. Yeah, he he came up with uh, some really amazing creature sound design using the Kima system. Yes, yeah, and that was sort of a you know. Wow, that's didn't even know you could do that sort of stuff and manipulate sound in this way at this level of quality. And he's, oh yeah, check this out. I've made a wood monster. He yes <laughs> <laughs> plays, plays exactly. You know, listen to the sound effects without any picture, and it's like, yeah, that's a hundred. That's a monster made Sounds of like wood. A mon- monster made of wood. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really. He just he just really knocked it out of the park on that one. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I've done those. I mean, I, I used to mix a lot of reality TV, um, so it kind of helps me from the standpoint of knowing what a mixer needs, sure, and what, knowing what, what what pitfalls a mixer goes through. Um, yeah, what I guess between those realms, they're very different content. They're very different ideas being conveyed. Uh, but again, it's sort of like music as a whole versus post as a whole. There's a lot of translation. What are some of the similarities between those different sets of work? What are some of the differences in reality? episodic drama and long form feature. Well, you know, we're trying to get the uh, we're trying to get whatever point across that the the uh, actors and the directors and the editors uh, intended. Sure. Um you know, we're it's it's we're all in service of that story and even if it's reality TV, there's still a little bit of of uh, an oral element of storytelling because it's edited in such a way to make you feel a certain way. Sure. Um, so it's, you know, we're all, we're all trying to do that. We're all trying to, um, you want it to seem realistic 
Um, in reality TV, it's obviously real, but um, you never want, you know, we, we use a term called suspension of disbelief. Um, uh, when you're watching uh, a movie or a TV show, um, and it's fake, you know, it's a narrative you know, with actors and a script right. and lines. This did not happen. It did not actually happen in real life. It's not happening in real life, sure. But they have to keep the viewer in a place where you don't think about the fact that it's fake. Um, you're in a state of uh, suspended disbelief where it doesn't, you know, your, your, your disbelief is held back, is held off. Right. You forget that this isn't reality. You just are immersed in what's happening. Yeah. Unless, unless there's a stylistic thing to keep, to take you out of that. Um, you have to make it seem like a real place and a real time. And in a lot of cases, so with what I do, um, a lot of that stuff was recorded on a set. Um, and they're, you know, so if, if we're supposed to be in New York, uh, they're in a set that is an apartment that's supposed to be in New York. Well, the set is on a stage somewhere, maybe not even, you know, maybe in Los Angeles. Right. Um, you have to create that world outside to make it to convince the viewer without them thinking about it that you're in an apartment in New York. Sure. Um you know, if they're firing a gun on screen, those guns that they use in in film and TV don't sound like real real guns. And even then, a real gun uh, sounds fairly. Uh, it sounds like a pop, right? You know, so you have to make that sound like what people imagine a gun sounding like. You know, that's. Um, I think that's another one of those great examples of realistic versus cinematic. Uh, yeah, there was. It's. I remember hearing an interview about uh, how they did the guns for Inception, which mm-hmm. at the time I thought was this, you know, wow, that's, that's amazing that they had all these different layers and all these different... And after the fact, kind of realized after recording a bunch of guns myself, after cutting a bunch of guns myself, that, oh, that's how you make Hollywood guns. That's just guns. how you do it, yeah. Yeah, you, that, that's <laughs> just what it is, where you have, you know, 20 different perspectives of a firearm recorded you know, somewhere, somewhere quiet. Mm -hmm. And then you line up the transients of everything. So phase matches, you get that coherence. And then all of the, all of the tails and all of the the characteristics are built out in sync with each other. Mm. And then you can pan them within a space as well. And frankly, uh, there is a lot, I mean, when I'm cutting guns, you know, I add a lot of mechanism movement. You'd never hear that if you're standing, even if you're standing right next to somebody who's firing a gun, all you're going to hear is a loud bang. And then um, not much of anything after that. Yeah, 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 yeah quite little after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but but uh, you know, you're seeing the slide on the pistol go back and forward. Um, I think people like to imagine that that is something they would hear. Sure. Um, so I add that. I actually think guns specifically are a great example of how to think about building sounds and layering sounds if you don't have a concept of how to make those choices in the beginning. Look at what a look at what something like that is. You have a trigger mechanism. You have a slide. You have an explosion. Of course, you mm-hmm. have a shell being released, and you have you have those things working in concert with each other. That you know, again, when you're just sitting around a shooting range somewhere and you hear that, it doesn't. You hear a bang, and that's all. Yeah. But layering all those little accents together, you suddenly get this very hyper real, larger than life, and really intense mechanism that. Again, you can you can get inside a story and give a a weapon character and a little bit of life to it when ordinarily it might not have it. Yeah, I mean, I've designed guns. I, I tend to do it when, if I'm if I'm doing a gun. I try to uh, 
I try to make it the maximum, uh, you know, as Hollywood as possible, you know, as, as much as much sort of uh, glitter sprinkled on top of it as I can. And then in, on the mix stage, if, if they're looking for a little bit more of an honest, realistic sounding one, they can mute that stuff. It's fine. You know, I'm not I'm not married to anything that I that I cut. But but uh, at least they have an option to have more uh, Hollywood excitement, I guess. And that's, again, another little hidden sort of nobody thinks about it until they have to do it is providing those options in the editorial process to both a sound mixer who's bringing it all together and bringing it all to life. But mm-hmm. also if the creative behind a show or behind a feature sits down and says, you know, oh, that that sounds a little bit too hyper real. That sounds a little bit too in your face. Can we dial it back? Yeah. You have all those elements making it that way that you can then scale back a little bit and just feature the stuff that is grounded in reality. Yeah, yeah. Or if they say, oh, yeah, punch this up and uh, the crazy, you know. Yeah, it needs to sound huge is always what a producer will say. It needs yeah. to sound huge. Yep, more bass, yeah, more low yeah. end. Make it sound huge. Can we make it louder? <laughs> I don't care about specs. I don't care about deliverables. I don't care what the network's going to say when they kick it back. It's going to be, it's got to be huge. All of it's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but having, having the elements that allow you to select those options and find yeah. exactly that right balance yeah exactly and i i also feel like that's again one of the differences between say reality non-scripted versus scripted dramatic long form stuff and then the the feature world is you most of the time get a certain expectation of time mm-hmm. where you're able to take the time to make those creative decisions in the feature world where in tv you have to make them immediately and you don't have the time to second guess you don't have time to massage stuff in you just gotta mm-hmm. find what works and I think with, uh, you know, again, with with video editors who are just kind of getting their heads around what sound can do for them, it's important to experiment with that. It's important to, you know, layer stuff in against maybe, you know, whatever backgrounds you're working on or whatever music you're playing against. Layer stuff in that wouldn't necessarily come to mind immediately mm-hmm. and just kind of see what it does. You have to experiment. You have to think about sound. You know, you have to, if, if, if you're at home right now, Sit in the room where you're watching this, and once this video is done, watch the whole thing until the end. But sit in the room you're sitting in and really listen to what's going on. Listen to every single little detail of what's going on. Even if you're in a quiet room in a, in a suburban neighborhood, you can probably hear something going on outside. Maybe it's wind. Maybe it's birds. You might be able to hear a clock ticking. You might be able to hear the air conditioner running. Um, but all of those things are elements that we think about to try to to try to create the scene. Certainly. Even if it's a dry, you know, dry room, uh, we'll, we'll try to add some of those elements to, to make it, um, sound real. That's, I think that's probably the easiest exercise. And again, the, the, the simple stuff is often the most overlooked Yeah. because it seems so obvious at the time you just kind of take it for granted. Yeah. But there is almost nowhere on earth that you can go where there is not sound. And if you just stop and pay attention to all those little details, even taking that step is going to allow you to get more in tune with how to cut sounds. Yeah. Because it's going to show you, okay, you know, if I'm sitting in this room right now with you, we've got a hard drive spinning in the background. We've got a little tiny bit of the outside coming in from a couple of open windows across the across the hallway that, you know, there's all these little tiny details that, yeah, again, you wouldn't pay attention to. Our brains are naturally very good at tuning stuff out yeah yeah but if you stop and you try and internalize that well you know if you're in a neighborhood if you've got a scene in a neighborhood 
cut some birds into the background. There are going to be some birds yeah. somewhere. Unless it's winter. Uh, in the Midwest. <laughs> where everything Which, is Which, again, is another thing that we think about, though. Uh, you know, it, you got it. It's it's. I know more about birds now than I ever would have thought. I mean, birds are fine; they're great and everything. But I've never really been a particular like. I've never been a bird watcher. Sure. But you learn so much about birds because when you get a project that you're working on, you go, "Well, where is this project set? If it's in Texas, I have to find out in this particular part of Texas. I have to find out which birds live there because I don't want to have." I don't want to have a bird that only exists somewhere else and somebody from that place is like, ah, well. That's not. Or somebody from Texas is like, ah, because it, it ruins their suspension of disbelief. Yep. And that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I've done a number of, uh, I guess, more sort of military-related projects that have very specific vehicles. And mm. at one point years ago, I ended up recording a bunch of Coast Guard aircraft. Yeah. This project that I was working on had, you know, the the Eurocopter, the Dauphine. They had the H sixty Jayhawk, the the Coast Guard variant of the Black Hawk, mm -hmm. and a couple of other various aircraft and vehicles in there. And we had to cut a trailer before we ended up seeing anything of the feature. So the trailer, I you know, cut together what I could, and I didn't have the right sound for the the Dauphine helicopter that was flying by in one of the scenes, mm -hmm. and I threw in something that I thought sounded, you know, heavy and cinematic and interesting. Yeah. And, you know, sent that off. Everybody was happy with it. It got posted online to YouTube and to military.com and to all these <laughs> high visibility places. And one of the things that immediately happened was all these people went, this looks great. This is going to be really awesome. But, uh, you know, that helicopter over there, the, the Dauphine <laughs> there, it actually sounds like a Bell Jet Ranger. Uh, is that going to be in the feature? And I looked back at what I was and it was exactly a jet ranger made by bell aircraft and it's like how people are so in tune with this the stuff. comments section will get you it's and <laughs> it really it really does again keep you kind of in check to make sure that you're getting things right the thing that i've noticed uh the more sound editors sound effects editors sound designers that i know the more i realize commonalities between all of us all of us tend to be very detail oriented and we all know a little about a lot. Um, we're all the type of people that, well, yeah, we know a little about a lot. We know we have a very sort of broad, um, we're very curious people. We have a very broad sort of base of knowledge and we're never going to, you know, we're never going to cure cancer, but we might know a little bit about the technology that helps, that's helping to do that. True. Um, only because it only because it fascinates us, and so we're, we tend to be pretty curious people. Everyone that I've ever met that does what I do tends to be that same way. We tend to be mechanically minded in a lot of ways. Um, we be, we tend to be curious. We tend to be, um, you know, information hogs and just wanting to know, wanting to know as much as possible. Sure. Um, and I think it it helps you to be a better sound effects editor because you just because um, you think about the way things work and you think about the way things are and. It's, it is a very logical progression thinking about sound from, I guess, a, a more creative standpoint because it does sort of just involve stepping back and listening to whatever it is that you want to make. Yeah. And having that point of reference, you know, again, speaking about the medical community in general, there are all these different shows on TV many of them based in Chicago, for example, <laughs> that uh, that you may or may not be involved with, that, you know, something as simple as the the 
sirens on an ambulance versus the sirens on a police car. One of the biggest things that I've heard from my friends who are in EMS has been, I hate it when they get that wrong. It's always wrong. Why is this always wrong? This is what a police car sounds like. This is what a fire engine sounds like. This is what an ambulance sounds like. Get it right. And you guys have to know what the differences between all those things are, why and when they use certain sirens versus others, what code three versus code two might be. And it's just this, you know, all these little details that you don't really think about until you have to be authentic to it and represent it, right? It's fascinating to learn that stuff. Absolutely. You know, it's fascinating to, because to, you get to step into somebody else's world maybe more, maybe even more uh, closely than the viewer does because we have to know this stuff or else, you know, you people are going to are going to get us in the comments section you know what i mean um and 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 i appreciate it you know it's it's good it's good to know when no, it keeps if some, yeah if somebody calls me out on making a mistake uh, that's something that's knowledge i need to have sure um so you know it works out but it, but it's but it's just really fun to learn uh, about these things that you wouldn't normally you know, the average person wouldn't normally get to learn about, you know. I remember I remember going through one time uh, one of the supervisors working on, again, a medical-related show. Mm-hmm. There was a surgery scene, yep. and they had a very particular kind of surgical gear in there that it's relatively new. It came out in the last couple of years. And the creatives behind the show said, we want the actual sounds that this machine makes. Yeah. And so that led me on a deep dive of, okay, what company is this and what variant of this machine that they've been making for the last 40 years you know, what is it this time and what does it do and where does it make these sounds from? And just in asking those simple questions, learning suddenly all this random stuff that I'd otherwise have no excuse to know. Yeah. Google is Google is a sound sound editor's friend, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I ended up getting in touch with this company. They're a huge medical equipment company that's distributing to hospitals across the world. Uh-huh. Getting in touch with, uh, you know, a representative from them and getting walked through some of this. So that we could do justice to it and bring the audience again just that little bit further step into the authentic, realistic realm. Yeah. That's huge. That's that's what pushes boundaries, I think, in sound work is taking another step to blending reality with cinema. Yeah, exactly. One of the most important things in my mind with this whole process of creation is collaboration. Not creating in a bubble, not, mm-hmm. you know, going off into your own solo space and relying entirely on yourself necessarily. You know, you can do that with certain realms of creativity. I think I think music has become one of those things that the tools have evolved to the point that you can do that mm-hmm. uh, in the creation of the music. It's in the same way there are certain parts of the process in film or in, in content for video, sound for video, that you can do that. Yeah. But allowing a bit more collaborative effort so that you as a video editor, for example, can focus exclusively on cutting the best material you can yeah, and then bringing it to someone who is exclusively focused on bringing the sound side of it to yeah. the best possible level they can. If I was, if I was, you know, going to give any advice to like, to somebody who is uh, sort of one man banding or one woman banding or one person uh, banding their, their situation if they're shooting and editing and doing the sound and all of that for their project i'd say it's just a matter of taking taking your editor hat off and putting on you know your sound effects editor hat and really pump yourself up inside as a you know because because you have to really think about it uh, in in a sort of bit of a vacuum 
you know, um, we're all thinking as sound designers, we're all thinking about the finished product and we're all thinking about the story that's being told, but we're thinking about it strictly from our perspective. Right. Um, and the video editor is usually thinking of it primarily from their perspective and they do quite a bit of temp sound as well. Um, but there's only going to be so much, uh, there's only going to be so much they can do. There's only going to be so much we can do. We all have to work together. It's collaboration. So if you're doing that yourself, I'd say maybe just try to try to really separate yourself from the other elements of the process when you're doing the other elements of the process. Right. If that makes sense. And, and again, that can be challenging, but having the ability to cut with video in mind to make it look great and then step back, cut sound to either impart the intention to a sound professional or to get the best sound that you can on your own independently of picture. And then stepping back again and marrying those two things together and thinking, okay, how do these things work off of each other? Mm -hmm. And making adjustments to both yeah. simultaneously. You have to be in that perspective. You have to be in that place where you're, you know, you are strictly thinking about the sound but you also have to have an eye on, you know, you're strictly thinking about sound, but you've also got, you're conscious of the way it's working with picture and the story that's being told and all of that. But you have to separate yourself and go from that and, and, and come at it from that perspective in order to, in order to have the right sort of, um, you know, approach, so, I think. So with all the things that we just talked about in mind, there are, you know, a lot of mistakes that can be made at the independent level. There are also a lot of issues that come up in the major level that uh, there's this perception that the pipeline would be perfect or that we'd have this narrowed down to so much of a science that it can be just a sausage factory of you put the quarter in and you get a movie and that's <laughs> it. Do you see, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you see even at the highest levels of entertainment that you know maybe people could work on or maybe maybe could be improved upon or mistakes that get made. Yeah, it's 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 weird to it's weird to call it a mistake because everybody, you know, when you're talking about a creative process um it's it's so subjective and and everybody's work everybody works differently. There are you know, there are everybody's got a quirk. Uh, I've got them, you've got them, and and all you people who are listening or watching have them too. I don't have any quirks. Um, I'm a perfect, immaculate human being. <laughs> I've heard I've heard that about you. Um, you know, I, I have. I mean, when it comes to dealing with post sound, you know, if you are coming from a place of, you know, production or or even post production when you're editing, um, for production, we just love when. We just love when there's care being taken to record clean sound. You know, it, just being aware of small things on set, you know, holding for a plane, holding for a helicopter going by, uh, holding means, you know, stopping the take or, or uh, asking to pro or asking to wait until the car is passed by, the helicopters pass by, the motorcycles pass by, something like that. Any outside noise that's going on. Um, that's really helpful. Um being aware of clothing movement that would that would go into the mic, you know, that would get recorded um, along with dialogue because we like dialogue to be clean. Any of that kind of stuff is just really, really helpful to us. Anytime that anybody on set focuses on getting clean sound. Um, I think that's a, an important moment to take the uh, time to mention if you are directing anything, if you are in charge of any of this process and you're working with a sound person who says, hey, we've got to do this again for sound, 
listen to them. Do it. it will yeah. save you in the post process. It will save you on the back end of stuff. They're not doing it for them for themselves. They they make they they that does nothing for them. That is for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's holding for sound. Uh, you've never seen on a lot of sets I've been on, you've never seen anybody roll their, roll their eyes harder. Um, but, <laughs> but it, it's, you know, give us, give us the time to do what we need to do the right way. And it will save you money and trouble down the road. Certainly. Um, and then, you know, f- for a video editor, I think it would just be really, there are two things, and I don't want to say that these are problems, but it's stuff that that is really helpful to us when you can number one deliver properly. Like if you're um, giving us an AAF, that it's as we've asked for it. Some people like it to be at a certain time code because we cut in Pro Tools on a time code basis, and we lock so that every frame of picture uh, is. Well, the number one job of sound is to have sounds be in sync yes. with picture. What I've run into a lot with working on independent projects and uh-huh. helping people out in that way is you ask for these sorts of specs and they, you know, they haven't had to do that before because they've been working in a siloed confi- environment. Yeah. So yeah. being able to, you know, the two pop of one kilohertz tone, one frame of it at 5958 first frame of video at one hour yep and having a time code burn that you know you you toss into a non-obstructing place on picture and have first frame of action is at one hour the the, you know again two pop exactly two seconds prior to that and you know simpty leader helps to a degree but i guess is a little bit less necessary now in our digital age here right yeah having having everything at you know 24 bit 48 kilohertz having Tracks that are organized in, you know, some some reasonable way. I cannot yeah. tell you the number of times I've opened up an AAF or an OMF and, you know, you've got one bit of dialogue on one track and then it's mm. the left side of a music track and then 14 mm. tracks of sound effects and then another piece of the dialogue and then the right side of the music track. Yeah, that's and that's, that's going to slow us down and that's going to make it more difficult for us to do our job. Just ha- having, a, having a clean, organized... I mean... It, I feel like anything anybody does should be organized. Sure. But especially if you're if you're trying to collaborate with somebody, please, you know, the OMF, uh, the AAF or the OMF has to be organized or it should be or we'd love it to be. Um, the other thing is, you know, in a lot of cases you cut you cut sound effects uh, so that when you're editing, if you're a video editor, you're cutting sound effects so that it works for you, sure. you know, so that it's more realistic to you because it helps you to make decisions about the video that you're cutting when it when it sounds realistic. Um I just I would I would hope that maybe we could just ask people to if you're hiring a sound professional um know that they they're probably going to have higher quality sounds than you have. So if you really really love a sound that you've used Maybe sit down with them and talk with them about it beforehand or something like that. But understand that if they add something different, just because it's different to you, it might not necessarily be bad. All we do for a living is collect sounds and use sounds. Um, it's 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 our career. So we you know we really do focus on that in a way most people don't. And um, so you know I guess just to just be open to a. Be open to uh, different options. 
We'll keep we'll keep all the stuff you did. <laughs> It'll still be there. It'll still be exactly the way that it was uh, originally intended. Yeah, but yeah. being able to to build around it, sweeten it, fill fill it in in ways that again, these video editing programs, for example, they're not designed to do it the way something like Pro Tools is. And the most of the spaces that video is cut in are not designed to handle theatrical mixing or, you know, mix for, for home entertainment even. It's usually just a couple of speakers in an edit base somewhere that, again, it's enough to establish an idea, but it's not enough to really get it sounding the best. If you're editing in stereo and I've got a 5.1 or a 7.1 or an Atmos environment to fill, you're, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it, our, 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 it's going to come out of the speakers differently. If you hear it coming out of both of your speakers and it's a mono file, then it's going to come out of one speaker for me. It's going to come out of my center channel speaker. And, and so if it sounds big in your room, it's not going to sound big in my room. And my room is the one that matters when it comes to the sound mix because... That's what the sound mix is going to be. So you sure, that's the last part of the pipeline. You yeah. got to have everything come together there. And yeah. I think the, I guess that touches on one last big topic uh, that you already kind of addressed, but specifically in collaborating with a sound person or thinking about the way that you're cutting sound effects in. You have to be open to those sorts of changes. You have to be open to those sorts of adaptations of your idea because they might work a lot better when you've established a foundation, but you get some nuance from another perspective. And it can only, again, it can only be helped by collaborating with people who are really in tune with this sort of stuff or learning from those people about how to think about sound and about how it might affect your perception of video a little bit differently. Yeah. And if you're a video editor and you've got a sound team, uh, never be afraid to ask them early and often for sounds. Uh, If you don't have a sound that you love for a certain thing and you're trying to cut it in to temp in a sound for uh, for a video project that you're working on and you have a sound editor, you have a sound team, because it, you know... To be to be blunt about it, it makes their job easier in the long run because at least the sound that you've loved and fallen, you know, and used is something that they have given and something that they're not going to have to go and and figure out and sort out and denoise and um, you know make make try to make sound better. If nothing else, um, you know, that's a sound that they've given you because they have the exact sound for whatever it is you asked for because that's because they we're we're sound collectors. You know, we do it. That's what we do. And again, that source quality rule of, you know, you as a you as an editor, for example, have used a sound that a sound editor would have selected anyway. All of a sudden that makes everybody's job easier because you know exactly how that's going to work and how it's going to play against picture. And a sound editor is going to listen to it and go, yeah, that's perfect. Great. Yeah. Moving on. I, yeah. can, I can focus my attention to detail on something else that needs it more. I, I already cut that. Yes. You know. Exactly. So I, I never have any problem. I, I you know. I never have any problem cutting things, sending things to the cutting room. I never have any problem sending anything to the to the uh, picture editorial, just because uh, that gives them uh, better quality temp stuff and potentially makes it so that I don't have to cut that sound effect down the road because I've already <laughs> done it. You know, why make it harder than it needs to be? Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's about all we have time for. I know you've got to get back to uh, actually cutting some stuff on high-profile broadcast shows, <laughs> literally right now. So, Dan, thank you for coming by and coming on and talking with us for me. a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, well, I guess till till next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> to, to end on a climactic note there. <laughs> Good lord. I like that. I like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave it. <laughs>